finally reached the end of Habakkuk. Um, I've lost count of the weeks, 11 or 12 weeks I think we've been in Habakkuk. But if you turn there now, we're going to finish off just with the last few verses in Habakkuk. I'm going to read chapter 3, verses 17, 18 and 19 to us um, in a minute. Let me just remind you again. Uh, In a couple of weeks' time, we're going to start looking through Romans chapter 8. We're just going to stay in that one chapter for eight weeks through the summer. Uh, Next week, I'll just remind you, we're not meeting here in the morning. We've got a gathering in the evening at 6 o'clock at Cornerstone Church. We won't be in Habakkuk or Romans. We're going to do something a little bit different just to help us focus on uh, building a culture of prayer within uh, Liberty Church. The week after that... Um, someone's getting married, I think, on the Saturday. So the, the day after, because a few folks um, are going to be staying at the wedding, the day after, there won't be many of us here. Um, literally, Lord will, and I'm hoping the weather's good and good enough that we can meet on the park. And instead of coming in here, just do something a little bit more informal for those of us who are around in Liverpool on the Sunday morning. That's two weeks today. We'll meet on the park. We'll bring our lunch. We'll uh, break bread together. Um, we'll hear from God's word, maybe sing a couple of songs together. Uh, and the kids, if they're around, they can have a bit of a play together. So that'll be a little bit uh, less uh, formal than what we might do here on the Sunday morning. So for the next two Sunday mornings, we're not here. Okay? And then we're back at it um, after then, and we'll start in Romans then. Um, I don't know about you in your home, whether this is you, whether you're this type of person, but I am the type of person in our home who likes to fix everything like i mean like diy stuff like if something's broken yeah steve karis is point pointing you out there i'm sure um helen will testify to that it's not a bad thing i'm not i'm not saying it's a, a bad thing at all like there's some of us who are professionals alan i admit some of us are not professionals but we like to think that we are and we give it a go and we'll youtube it and youtube is like there's no job that you can't work out that is not on youtube and i'll try my best but Sometimes I've come to a loose end. In our old house, when we used to live on the front, I decided that I was going to redo our shower. And uh, this took six months, about six months to do. But it was, a, it was a helpful process. But there was one point in the renovation where um, I had to cut the pipes, the water pipes, to get um, some new fittings on. And I just hadn't planned it right at all. Like, Alan, you're going to be horrified at this. But I cut through the pipes thinking that I turned off the water downstairs so nothing's going to come out, right? Forgetting that there's all the water in the whole system that's got to still come out. So I cut it and a little bit dribbled out and I thought, okay, that's, that's all right, let it keep going. And I just kept on coming out and it was coming out under some pressure as well. And so I literally had to sit there with my thumbs on the pipe to stop them coming out. So I'm sitting there with two hands locked down here. One of them's hot water. So there's boiling hot water against one of my thumbs there and I can't move it. And I just sat there, and I remember Elizabeth was out, so there was, I had no help at all. And I just screamed, I was, I was just like, ah! I, I literally couldn't do anything, and the only way I could get out of it was just to let the, the floor flood. I had to just let my thumbs go, turn on all the taps around the house, which is what I should have done first, um, and sort it out that way. And that's probably one of a number of scenarios where I find myself in a situation where I've tried to fix it, and I just haven't been able to do it and actually we all do this maybe some of us don't try it at DIY maybe you're a bit more sensible than me but we find ourselves in situations in life don't we where we see it and we think I can get through that I can fix it I don't need any help and specifically let's kind of think 
think about um, kind of God coming in to help us stand with us. I don't need God's help. I can kind of work this through on my own. I'm strong enough to do this. And the reality is, folks, to try and live life on our own, to try and face life's battles on our own, to try and navigate through the trials of life, which we will all face on our own, to try and do that, that will inevitably crush us. And it is inevitably exhausting. We will all face problems that are too big for us. We will all face mountains that are too big for us to move. We will all at points in our life face sin which is too strong for us to defeat. We will all be in moments where the peace that we we so desperately need eludes us. And we can't take hold of it. Because we are not strong enough. We are not strong enough. Let me read these last few verses for us from Habakkuk. My hope is this morning is that we, we come to a conclusion where we admit that that is right. But then we find a response which does bring us peace. A response which enables us to have the strength that we need. But let me read. Habakkuk 3, verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there will be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. Last week, let me just remind us how we ended it. Uh, Habakkuk uh, just has this vision of God's faithfulness, of how he has helped his people through history. And he comes uh, just to this realization at the end of the passage we read last week in verse 16, where he sees what is coming. He recognizes what is coming. Remember, God's people are going to be taken into exile. They're going to experience some of them the heavy judgments of God, some of them the discipline of God. But they're all going to experience the heavy hand of Babylon On them, they're going to be taken from their land into a foreign land. They're going to be taken from a place of life and flourishing and safety into a land of wicked rulers who are going to extort them and try and make them conform into their way of living. It's going to be hard for them. And remember, uh, right at the start of the book, Habakkuk comes and this all starts because Habakkuk is unsatisfied with what he sees. He sees Judah walking in sin. He sees Judah walking in idolatry and he comes to God and says, God, are you not going to act? And God says, yes. And this is how I'm going to bring Babylon. And in the first two chapters, we just see this picture of Habakkuk just coming and complaining to God. And we did say sometimes that is a right posture to have. Like we should be honest before God. But he cuts this picture of a complainer, of a questioner, of, of a real frustration in the situation that he is in. But in this last chapter, in chapter 3, we said last week, something has changed. There is a spectacular turn in Habakkuk's countenance before God. He moves, and we see it so vividly this morning in these three verses. He moves from a complainer to a man of joy. He moves to someone who is a worrier and just concerned with what he sees around him and trying to fix it to someone who is standing in confidence. 
And I want us to see this morning, has his situation changed? Is that what has changed to make him have joy and confidence? No. Like if anything, it's got worse. Like if anything, his eyes have been opened even more to see how bad it's going to be when Babylon comes. Like he knows even clearer now how bad the situation that has changed. What has changed? He has. That is what we see through Habakkuk chapter 1, 2 and landing in verse 3. Not that his situation changes, but that Habakkuk changes. Verse 17, he's really clear. Things aren't going to get better. He gives this really kind of colorful description of the loss that Judah are going to experience. He uses this kind of agricultural picture of of all these six different things being taken away from God's people. He says, the fig tree won't blossom. There won't be fruit on the vines. There won't be olives on the olive tree. The, The fields aren't going to give forth their harvest. The flock are going to be taken away. There's going to be there's going to be no livestock in the stalls. And for an agricultural society, that was a big deal. Like to have, to have nothing to eat, to have nothing to sustain and to have nothing that they can build an economy on. And this is him looking to, to next year. He can see what is coming. And he's literally seeing that next year, folks, we will have nothing. Everything that our life has been built upon, everything that we need to flourish will be taken away from us. And that is the reality that comes. Babylon come, take them into exile. They ravage the land. They take away all of their livelihood. They strip the fields bare. Habakkuk sees clearly what is coming. And now the old Habakkuk, Habakkuk in chapter 1, would have tried to fix it. Like in chapter 1, we see him coming to complain to God about injustice. Complain to God then about the type of justice that God is going to come. He's complaining to God and he's trying to, in his own efforts, change the situation that he sees in front of him. And yes, he's going to God. That's the right way to do it. But he sees something and he's just, he, he, he's not satisfied. And so he's trying to bring about the change. But there is a transformation that we see in these few verses here. He sees again what is coming. But this time he responds with joy. And with confidence. You see, folks, trial always brings transformation. It does. Every trial that we face, every moment of suffering that we face, every time we can see the dark clouds coming on the horizon, just like Habakkuk uh, does, they are moments where we are going to transform. And either we will change in one way, which will lead us towards weariness, or we will change in another way, which leads us towards peace. And that is what we want. But really, our human instinct is to bring change ourselves. When we see something coming, we want to change ourselves. We want to move in our own effort. Like it's a rare thing for someone to see a moment of crisis coming and then for them just to remain the same and not to do anything. Like everyone moves in some way and changes in some way. And the two predominant ways that humanity will try and, and step into the situation and the two ways that they will be changed is, is this. First, we will, we will change to do better. And secondly, we will change to be better. Like there are two responses. We think that we need to do better. That's the change that we think that we need to uh, see in our lives in order to get through the situation that's in front of us. And that's really a, a kind of a change that is grounded on religion. So, you, so there is a, a kind of secular religion that has nothing to do with God, which is all about working hard. 
Like I, I see this trial coming, so I need to work hard. I need to do better. We see this in all sorts of different ways. We see it with environmental issues that we see around us. People stepping in and trying to do better, work harder to resolve those situations. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but that is what is built within us. We see it with moral issues around us, where we see things that are wrong. So we think, well, we just need to be a better people to do better, to work harder. We see it with just fundamental life choices. If we're, if we're feeling unhealthy, maybe putting on a bit too much weight, then we, we need to do better. We need to go to the gym more often. We need to stop eating that kind of food. We kind of live to the mantra that Gandhi put out decades ago when he said, be the change that you want to see in the world. Like if you want to see change, that comes through you. You've got to do better. And so we see it in a kind of secular religious sense. We also see it in a devout religious sense, a kind of rule keeping within religiosity. I see this kind of issue coming. I see uh, trouble around me, so I need to pray more. That's what I need to do to change the situation. I need to pray more. Or I need to kind of read my holy book, if that's the Bible or the Quran, whatever it is. Or I need to throw myself into a religious community around me. And devout religious folks will work to justify themselves before a deity. That's what they do. I need to do better. And that deity could be God, the God of the Bible. It could be society. It could be our friends, our family. At the moment, we've talked about this a lot, the deity, prominent deity in our time is ourselves. I need to work harder to be the person that I want to be. Folks, to to live to that mantra, to think that the way that we get through trial is to do better will exhaust us. We're told to do better. We're also told to be better. That's the kind of other thing that, that is like within our human instinct. We see, we see trouble. We need to do better. We also need to be better people. That's how we're going to get through it, folks. So back in the 2000s, this um, phrase uh, gained a bit of prominence within um, evangelical um, uh, talk. Uh, they would talk about this, this movement, particularly within millennials, but actually we all identify with it, this movement of moralistic therapeutic deism. Anyone heard of that? No, moralistic therapeutic deism. Don't worry, I'll walk us through. Moralistic therapeutic deism. So deism, the idea that there is a higher power. That there is someone bigger outside of ourselves. Um, moralistic, the idea that this, this higher power, this deity, wants us to be nice. And when we are, when we are nice people, we will be happy. That's where the therapeutic idea comes from. Moralistic therapeutic deism. There is a God who wants us to be nice people. And when we are nice people, when we do what that God wants us to do, we will be happy. And so when we see that something's not right around us, we just need to be better people. We just need to change our behavior. This is behavior modification. And folks, can I say this is so pervasive within church culture. Like this isn't just outside. This is us. So often we think when when things are going wrong, God isn't happy with me and so I need to change something. I need to do something differently. I need to be a better person. Now, now let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. There is a sense in which we, we should strive for holiness and righteousness. But to think that that is how we fix what is going around, to think that is how we, we gain peace in the midst of trial, to be better people, that is just going to exhaust us. 
The rule of our world and the rule of our hearts outside of God is if we want to get through this, guys, we've got to do better. We've got to be better. We've got to believe in ourselves. We've got to believe that we can bring about the change. We've got to believe that we are strong enough. If we just do that or stop doing that or be that or stop being that, we are strong enough to see the change that we want to see and it will ultimately exhaust us. And it will not lead to peace. And if we have not faced it yet, folks, one day we will stand against something that no amount of doing and no amount of being in our own strength will be enough. And it will exhaust us, it will crush us, and it will drive us to despair. Trials will change us. And they will either push us further into works or push us further into Jesus. Works will exhaust us. Jesus will bring peace. We see that in these last two verses. Let me read them again, verse 18 to 19. Habakkuk has this picture of what is coming, the reality of the suffering, the trial that is coming. And then he says in verse 18, yet. Suffering is coming yet. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. Here is what Habakkuk does. In the midst of trial, when he sees it coming towards him, he's no longer trying to fix it in his own strength and bring his his complaints to God and try and move things around. No, he throws himself onto God. That's what he does. Habakkuk of chapter 1 and 2 is frustrated. He's angry. He wants change. He wants justice, but, but only this amount of justice. He's almost, in some ways, it looks like he's, he's trying to use God for his own aims. But look at the transformation that we see now. He's, he's just coming before God and saying, God, God, we need you. That is what we need in this moment. More than anything, more than me trying to change things, we need you. And remember back in chapter 2, verse 4, this kind of key passage in, in the book of Habakkuk. The righteous shall live by their faith. This is what it looks like. This is what it looks like for the righteous to live by faith in the moment that we find ourselves in. It looks like having a joy in God and a confidence in God. Verse 18 and 19 are putting flesh on the bones of what it looks like to be the righteous who live by faith. It looks like joy in God and confidence in God. So we see first in the first part of verse 18 that he rejoices in the God of his salvation. He knows what is coming. He's not dismissing it. He's not pretending that suffering isn't real. But I think what he's doing is kind of zooming out from the picture and getting a big big picture view of what's going on. Did you hear the the story of um, the Second World War Japanese soldier who uh, was involved in in the the conflict in in the Second World War in Japan, was fighting in the jungle. And uh, the war was declared over in, in 1945, like it was over. Well, he refused to believe that it was over. He said, I'm not going to come out of the jungle. I'm not going to stop fighting until my commander comes and tells me that it's over. And for 29 years, he hid in the jungle with his rifle ready to take on the the opposition, thinking that they were going to come. The war was over. 
But he kept on thinking, everything is just what I see in front of me. This is the reality. I don't believe that it's over until someone comes and tells me. But if only he could have zoomed out of the jungle and seen the big picture and seen all of humanity around him at peace and flourishing again because the war was over. He could have had 29 years of his life back. Folks, sometimes we need to do that. We get so caught up in the moment and if only we would zoom out and see the big picture and like Habakkuk comes to the same conclusion, say, oh, I'm taking joy in the God of my salvation. Yes, I see trials are coming. Yes, this is painful, but I've been saved. I've been saved. I've been moved from death into life. God has saved me. He has brought me from darkness into life. He has saved me. And as, and as Habakkuk says that verse, he's, he's looking at the salvation that he knows God has already brought to God's people. He's seen that. We saw that last week. And he's also standing in, in deep assurance of the promise of God that he will save his people. He will save Judah. And ultimately, where do we see that? At the cross. Folks, sometimes we just need to zoom out and have a, have a cross perspective over our suffering. And to stand in the reality that we are the saved people. We have been redeemed. That God has sorted our greatest problem. He has brought us out of the greatest potential trial. The greatest potential suffering. Eternal suffering. He has done it. And we need to sit above and just have that perspective. And yes, see our trials. Yes, see our suffering. But see the great victory that God has brought us. And say, yes, God. And take joy in our salvation. And don't get me wrong, that is not to move aside or to minimize the pain. It is not. But it is to see the great work that God has accomplished that will endure for all of eternity. Because the reality is everything that we see in front of us can and maybe will be taken from us. Our money, our house, our career, our health, our kids, but not our salvation. That can never be taken from us. And we're going to see that so clearly in Romans chapter 8. And because that is true, That should bring us to a place of joy. The world can throw anything at us. Our bodies can do anything within us. Satan can try his hardest, but they cannot take our salvation. We are secure in Christ for all eternity. Love the way in Paul in Philippians comes to the end of his letter and he says, Rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. Let's not forget what Paul had been through. Like, like he had it hard, yeah? So in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he lists out the sufferings and trials that he'd endured. And in the midst of all this, he's still able to say, I rejoice. I see the big picture. I rejoice. Again, folks, when you rejoice, he lists them out. I've been in prison. I've been beaten. I've been near death. I, I received 40 lashes. I was beaten with rods. I was stoned. I was shipwrecked three times. I remember one time he finds it to shore and what happens? A snake bites him. He finds himself adrift. He finds himself in danger from the Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger at sea, in danger at land. He finds himself at the hard end of persecution. He finds himself hungry. He finds himself thirsty. He finds himself having sleepless nights. He finds himself being, being just crushed sometimes with anxiety for the church. And yet he's still able to say, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. How can he do that? Because he remembers what God has done in saving him. Folks, maybe as we come and eat this meal in a few moments, we just need to 
Come before God and pray the simple prayer from Psalm 52, verse 12. God, this morning, would you restore the joy of my salvation? If you feel no joy, folks, in the face of suffering, can I suggest that either that is because we don't know Jesus, and if that is the case, the door for salvation is open to you. Either we don't know Jesus, and he has offered salvation to you, or we forget who he is. So we need to pray that prayer. Restore the joy of my salvation. Bring me out. Give me that that big perspective against God. Just remind me of who I am in Christ. Remind me of what you have done through your son. Remind me and restore to me the joy of my salvation. Or maybe, folks, you're just not coming to him. Maybe you know him. Maybe you are saved. But maybe you're just not coming to Jesus in the midst of the struggle. And here's a quick diagnostic for whether you are or whether, whether you aren't coming to Jesus are you weary? And I don't mean physically tired. I think all of us are in some sense. But do you feel like a soul weariness? Jesus says, come to me. All who are weary. And he makes it clear. He's not talking about the physical replenishment. He's not talking about that type of weariness. He says, come to me and I will give you rest. Rest for your souls. Are you tired this morning? Are you spiritually tired, fatigued? Well, Jesus says, come to me. And when he, when he says that and when you do come, he doesn't say, okay, right, now let's, let's do, like, here's what you need to do. Here's the list of things. Go away and everything. No, 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 he says, I've done everything already. It's finished. Just come. Just come and sit with me. Come and hear from me. Come and talk to me. And I'll give you rest. And let's not kid ourselves that joy is this facade of happiness. Let's remember the position and, and just the physicality of Habakkuk that we saw last week. Remember, what are his knees doing? They're knocking together like he's trembling at the, just the, the thought of Babylon coming. He is, he is just kind of, he feels the reality of what is going on. This isn't kind of an external false veneer that's going on where he's just sitting there with all smiles. He knows what is coming, but he is standing in the presence of a God who gives him rest for his soul. And he finds joy. As we throw ourselves onto God, we need to rejoice in our salvation. And secondly, we need to place our confidence in God as our strength. Verse 19, God, the Lord is my strength. It's actually interpreted, my Lord and my God, my strength. My Lord and my God, my strength. Habakkuk is saying, I can't carry this. I have nothing left. God, would you be my strength? And he throws himself onto God. 
And there will be all sorts of other offers of strength around. And I'm sure there will be. I'm sure his friends, his family, I'm sure as he finds himself in Babylon and finds himself weak, I'm sure there will be offers of strength, types of strength being held out to him. Probably the worldly type of strength that we are so used to. Habakkuk, you just need to do better. You need to be better. Just help yourself out of the situation. And Habakkuk pushes all of that back. And he says, no, more than anything, I need you, God. And he takes hold of God. And he says, God, I need your strength. And he says that as God gives him strength, he he makes his feet like the deer's. We did this a few weeks ago. Just again, push that idea of the cute deers walking around Tatton Park out of your mind. Like that is not the deer that Habakkuk is talking about. Deers back then, they were like mountain deers. They would uh, walk up rugged mountains. I saw a a clip this week, absolutely phenomenal, of a a huge dam, hundreds of meters high. I don't know whether you've seen it. And it's made out of a particular stone somewhere in the Middle East, a particular stone where salt kind of comes out of the rock when when rainwater hits it. And it's the particular type of salt that these type of deers need to live. But they can only get it if they get up to these high places on the dam. And they're literally, I mean, the dam is like this. Maybe like, I don't know, let's make it more extreme. Like like this. It's almost like a, a sea of face. And it looks impossible. But somehow they're walking up and finding there. And there's those moments where it looks like they're going to fall. But then they get a hoof on and they find themselves up to this bit of salt. And they start taking what they need. Habakkuk is saying... My Lord, my God, you are my strength. And when I receive that strength, it makes me, it gives me this kind of confidence, this strength, this sure-footedness that looks like the mountain deers. It looks impossible, almost. The other picture he gives there, he says, he makes me tread on my high places. This is actually battle language. So if you imagine um, kind of the setting that they're in, there's valleys and there's mountains. And the the warriors, when they were in battle, they would take the high places. They wouldn't be fighting uh, down below. They would be in the high places so they could see what was going on. They could plan the battle out and they could win the victory from up there. This was the vantage point, overlooking what's going on beneath. And, And Habakkuk is saying, you place me in the place of victory. That is what... That is what my Lord, my God, my salvation, my strength, that is what it does. You place me in the place of victory. That is a phenomenal statement for Habakkuk to say in the midst of what is coming, in the reality of what is coming with exile. He's saying, actually, when I come to God, when I throw myself onto God, I find joy in my salvation and I have a confidence in God as my strength that reminds me of the victory in which I stand. We're going to see this in a few weeks' time. Romans chapter 8, verse 37. Paul reminds believers that in all things we are more than what? Conquerors. In all things. And he lists out what they are. Like in all things, in everything that the world can throw at us, Christians are more than conquerors. Why? Because the battle has been won. See, we come into this world enslaved by a nature of sin, trying to push out God, trying to deify ourselves and trying to to live in our own strength. But Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave is a message of victory that is held out to all of us who are held captive by our sin, Satan and death. 
And so for all of us who are living with exhaustion, shame, or the guilt of trying to fix the unfixable, Christ holds our victory. A victory that looks like liberty and liberation from those things bought for us, secured for us in his life, death and resurrection. For all of those who are living on the basis of their own performance, this kind of a standard which we think that we have to achieve, which we will never meet. Christ's victory proclaims that our worth ultimately is defined by his love and his acceptance for us. For all of us who are living in the shadow of fear and anxiety, Christ's victory proclaims that his love will cast out all fear. For all those who are facing trials, I encourage us this morning to throw ourselves onto God and to rest in his victory. His victory over things that will ultimately rob us of life and peace. To find our confidence in God, to find our joy in God. And as we do, to find our peace in Him. So, how does the story end in Habakkuk? Well, Habakkuk is walking into a time of trial where he has been transformed. And the transformation that we see through these three chapters is a transformation that brings him closer to God. A transformation that has him grow in joy and confidence. And for Judah, for the people of Judah, we see in history as we look back that they did endure. God did save them and from the remnants of Judah, Jesus was born. Their great saviour, our great saviour. The last verse to the choir master with stringed instruments. I remind us this is a song that Habakkuk wrote and not a song that he wanted to sing on his own. This was a song for the people, a poem for the people. The righteous shall live by their faith and it will look like seeing that God is our Lord, our strength. It will look like us rejoicing in the God of our salvation. It will look like us having confidence in God. Here's my prayer is that we would be able to sing that together. Not struggle on our own, but help each other along, reminding each other of who God is and of who we are because of what he's done. Let's just take a few moments just to pray, folks, as we just finish things off and just prepare um, to take this meal. Let's just take a few moments of quiet and I'll lead us in prayer. I'll ask us some questions as we just quiet our hearts. Come before God. So let me ask you this morning, where are you looking for joy? Where are you looking for peace? Where are you placing your confidence this morning? And if it's not Jesus... How is that working out for you? If you feel weary this morning, if you're exhausted from trying to do better, trying to be better, I want to remind us this morning there is rest for us in Jesus. 
you feel like, I don't know, if life just feels like defeat for you at the moment, if it feels like you're losing all the time, can I just pull us out of the picture for a moment and to remind us, Jesus has already secured the victory for you. And to allow you to stand in that victory this morning. Victory over things that will eternally matter. Victory over your sin. Victory over death. So Jesus, there are many of us this morning that are tired, so I ask that you would just come to us by your Spirit. Holy Spirit, we pray that prayer. Remind us of the joy of our salvation. Remind us that we are a redeemed people, a saved people. Give us a perspective that helps us see our suffering in light of who we are and what you've done through the finished work of the cross, through the resurrection. Holy Spirit, remind us of those things and bring us peace as they come to our remembrance. Father, we we reject um, we reject the, the notion that we can live this life on our own. We reject the worldly philosophy that would tell us that we have enough within ourselves to find, find the answer, to find peace. So we come to you, Father, and we throw ourselves onto you this morning. Attend to us, we pray. Bring healing where it is needed. Bring joy where it is needed. Bring peace where it is needed. Bring conviction of sin where it is needed. Father, give us a vision for you, we pray this morning. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.